0: Piano is very much like it's a really good way to connect. If you have a student, young child who you think might be interested in drilling. piano is a really interesting thing because it's such so much like playing the drums, where your right hand and left hand doing different things, mm-hmm. and your feet are involved as well. So it's um, with the pedals. So it, it, it did kind of like I think it kind of opened up a like door a, a little board. bit for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in the Limelight. I'm your host, Jay Huller. As a quick reminder, please follow us on Instagram at Living in the Limelight Show and check out our website at livinginthelimelight.com. And of course, you can find our podcast through all the major streaming services, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Each week, we feature a conversation with a different artist where we delve into what makes them tick, and sometimes we get pro tips on pursuing a career as an artist. If you're a performer who would like to be considered for our show, check out the questionnaire at livingintheLimelight.com. and thanks, of course, so much for listening. I have the distinct honor and pleasure today of speaking with Kent Auberly. He is a first-call drummer from Atlanta, Georgia. He is currently performing and recording with a number of artists, so he is a tough guy to pin down. He's a Busy, busy performer. His ability to be a groove chameleon performing all styles of music, as well as his harmonizing backing vocal ability, has made Kent one of the busiest drummers in the US for both live performance and sessions. He has over 20 years' touring experience both in the US and internationally, including China, Japan, Australia, Canada, and soon Europe. He has performed on The Conan O'Brien Show, The Today Show with Kathy Lee and Hoda, The Talk, and he's performed numerous times at the Grand Ole Opry, as well as the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. So let's welcome Kent to Living in the Limelight. It's great to connect with you again. How have you been?
0: I've been good, man. Good. Very busy, but very good, man. No complaints. No complaints.
1: Excellent. Welcome to Living in the Limelight, and I appreciate you being on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, and you're such a busy guy that I, I respect your time, and I really appreciate you uh, taking this moment for us. Um
0: Oh, well, no it's, problem, man. My
1: pleasure. It's funny. I had a little chronology here to go through. And uh, right before this, I was reading your encounter with Freddie Gruber. And I <laughs> I kind of wanted to put that in the middle of everything. But I think I want to start with it because it has um, tentacles, I think, that that speak to your life as a drummer and things that you've done over time. And um, I, <clears throat> I know you've got that on your website in pretty new, pretty a nice detail but can you encapsulate it for us because um, as some of the listeners will know who are drummers that it's just he's a legend in the business um, and um,
0: it, yeah. yeah so uh, Freddie is um, Freddie is uh, definitely probably one of the biggest just my, my short amount of time I got to spend with Freddie was it had just a, a massive uh, influence on my life and uh, how I play the drums and everything. Um, but basically the way it went down was I I was attending a Nam show um, in Nashville, Mm -hmm. and I'd driven up on like two hours of sleep. Me and a friend of mine went up on about, I was on about two hours of sleep. He drove and I performed in uh, Atlanta the night before and so I kind of slept on the road on the way up as much as I could so at the end of the day it's probably getting to be around like 3 o'clock and the the show's over at 6 so around 4 o'clock a lot of the uh, biz kind of start breaking stuff down a little bit, you know, and started kind of getting ready to pack load out. And I'm sitting at a table just watching everything go down. And uh, uh, my friend Pam, who was at the time working for Wisdom Tech, came up to me and she goes, Hey, do you mind babysitting this guy for an hour or so? <laughs> and I look up and it was Freddie Gruber. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm like, yeah. So um, if you're listening, you don't know Freddie um, is by far one of the he's a legendary drum instructor who um, teaches in a completely different way. He's not really a tablature or charting type of guy. He's not a guy who's going to teach you rudiments, but what Freddie had done was studied um, the movements of drummers and he could take a drummer and teach them how to um, get out of their head and literally learn how to play with feel. And it, it was, um, you know, he's worked with Neil Peart, he's worked with uh, Dave Weckl, Steve Smith, he had a massive influence on Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these guys who've worked with him, you know, he's, it's, it's different from a lot of other times that you spend with a teacher where it literally has tentacles to where as you go on in your life, you keep going back to things that you've said. Um, but yeah, I got to spend uh, probably about two and a half, three hours alone with him one-on-one and just talked about life and talked about drums. And, uh, you know, the next, I think it was like two nights later, I had another show and I was behind the drum set and I started playing and it was just like this whole freaking world just opened up to me that I hadn't really approached before on a drum set as far as like how I felt behind the kit, my confidence, what I was focused on, everything. And the Mm -hmm. gig went effortlessly and, I Don't think I ever played better. So yeah, Freddie
1: was a huge influence on me. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if you <clears throat> put together the title of this podcast, "Living in the Limelight," is sort of uh, borrowed, I guess, from a Rush um, from the Rush yeah. song. And uh, I have read that story about Neil's um, time with him, and it's like just exactly like you said. And I think um, some teachers are really—they're um, just—they're that way, and we gravitate mm-hmm. toward them. Toward their their wisdom and just the way they can kinda of go out of the box and uh, I've I've heard this many times and I just I wanted to kind of get your your perspective on it. So that's that's so awesome. So can we go back a little bit to I wanna take you all the way back to Illinois when you were a kid? Sure detasseling corn because <laughs> I've, I've read up on you a little bit and I, I want to know kind of where the drums just first started uh, for you and like what drew you to that instrument and what continues to drive because you have been just killing it for so many years and you're the top of the line pro drummer on call anytime and You got to, you got to put the work in to get there. And I'm wondering kind of like what fueled your fire to move us from then to where we are now.
0: Um, Well, I, I was probably about six, it was somewhere between six and 10 years old. I'm going to say around seven years old. Uh Um, And my parents, I was taking piano lessons already. My mom was very big on piano lessons. So I started piano lessons when I was basically almost when I could sit on the the thing and reached the piano and barely touched the pedals. Um, (laughs) I started taking piano lessons. And so music was a big thing. And the piano is very much like, it's a really good way to connect. If you have a young child who you think might be interested in drilling, piano is a really interesting thing because it's such, so much like playing the drums where your right hand and left hand doing different things Mm -hmm. and your feet are involved as well. So it's, um, with the pedals. So it, it, it did kind of like, I think it kind of opened up the like door a little bit for me. It.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then I guess I was about seven years old and I went to the my high school at the time was February Cropsey High School. It's now called Prairie Central High School. But at the time, February uh, Cropsey High School had a, we uh, did a thing called the, the, spaghetti band, the Spaghetti supper for the band, which was hosted by the Boosters. And they would raise, they would have a big spaghetti dinner and they would raise funds for the band um, for that year. Mm -hmm. And the the evening was always topped off by a performance by the band doing like a pop concert um, where they're doing classical music and it's a band, you know, they're on the gym floor and everybody's dressed up nice and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never forget when um, I walked, I remember going to the gym with my parents and there was a bright red sparkle drum set on the floor. And I I literally, I was like, whoa, whoa, what is that? And uh, um, about three-fourths of the way through the show, you know, the show, it's like a pop concert, so everybody's just kind of sitting still. There's not really any excitement or anything. And then um, this dude, John Singer, who uh, was a high school student at the time, He still performs. He moved to Nashville and played in, at the Opera, Grand Old Opry, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out and he was a high school student at Burberry Crosby, which is a town of about 4,000 people. So I, I want to right. throw that out there. This is a small school. Um, and uh, he came out and played the drums with the pop band, and it instantly turned the entire place into like a party it was nuts. Like people were hooting and hollering and I just remember the energy and seeing, I just remember seeing how people reacted and I was like, wow, I really want to learn how to play drums. And, uh, I guess it was probably about later that year. Um, my mom and dad found a drum set down the street from me at a garage sale for $35. Oh, nice. uh, I still have it. It's a, oh, wow. it's an Apollo, it's like an old Japanese 60 shelf, like a 13 inch Tom, 16 inch floor Tom. I'm looking right at it. It's in my office and 20 inch bass drum. And it's crazy. Cool. Like, uh, almost like a tire stripe psychedelic finish. It's just amazing. And, uh, I played that kit every day of my life, all the way through college, except for when I was, you know, in college, I didn't leave it at home for a few years, but every time I came home, I played it, but um, yeah, it just became part of my life, and I, um, you know, I, I played drums a little, I, just after school, man, that was my thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd get home from school and any kind of baseball practice and stuff. I did sports all through school, which I definitely think helps my drumming, mm-hmm. um, and, but you know, when i get home from school and from uh, piano lessons or anything, the first thing I'd do, go up to my room, and I'd play my drums like my ears couldn't hear anymore. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it just became an everyday thing. And then M um, T V came to town, and I was able to start watching videos of drummers constantly. Mm. And that really took it to another level of excitement. Um, and then... Um, I did school band until I was in eighth grade and my freshman year I had to choose between band and sports. So I chose sports knowing that, you know, I'm not really a marching band guy. I'm really more of a, I really would have rather just, um, I really just wanted to just go down, um, go up to my room at the end of the day and play rap. records. Yeah, you wanted to control you know?
1: it independently. I gotcha.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to play along with records and, yeah. and learn how to become a rock and roll drummer. And I did that all through high school, and then I went to college. I took a few years off from drumming just to kind of. I played baseball in college, and I enjoyed it. And I gave it a couple of years, and then after that, I, I went full on back into drumming. And you know, I guess the rest is just kind of history.
1: Yeah, and that's it's so interesting to to kind of have that. You still have this kit, and you're looking at it, and it's it's your history, and it's right there, and it's like etched into your you know DNA almost. And
0: yeah, and it's, it's funny, man. It's funny because I remember being in, in high school and I had this little bitty jazz kit. And this was back in the 80s when everybody was playing all the drums that were being sold were like these giant 12, 13 power toms, mm-hmm. you know, two bass drums. It was the 80s big drum set thing. I, here I am with this jazz kit. And then I go to college and in the 90s, you know, the alternative music scene blew up and people were offering me, money for my drums at every show I played. <laughs> like, I'm not thank God <laughs> Yeah, thank God my broke college student didn't need to, didn't feel like it was worth it to so sell them. So I'm really happy I still have
1: them. Well and that also speaks, I think, just to the the attachment of of how it be, helped you become who you are and, you know, I think that's really why people hold on to letter jackets and that kind of thing from their from their past. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's nostalgia. And uh I think that is so amazing. So your parents, uh, this is going to be a similar story to mine, I'm sure, because um, I started out on the clarinet, kind of through mom's help, and then I moved into snare, and then I said, "Hey, can I have a kit?" And so the the, the sound in the house just changed, and so yours went from piano to to drum set. What was the like reaction from your, from parents in terms of? Uh, I don't know if we can handle this. Like, were you waking up the neighbors? Oh, my parents
0: were all my parents were all about it. I mean, my, Uh, you know, there was, we always, it it was a loud household. And, uh, you know, um, we always had stereos Me my, my brothers and I, my older brother, Dave always had a loud stereo. There was always music going on in our house, um, as a kid. And, but you know, their best, their best thing when they get asked about that, like, how did you guys scan it? They said, well, you know what? We knew exactly where he was all the time. (laughs) 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 He was upstairs and you can hear it and you can feel it through the floor. But, you know, we definitely had to like, there had to be some ground rules, you know, my neighbor called the cops on me once as a kid. And, um, you know, so I had to stop playing at nine o'clock at night. I couldn't play after nine o'clock and I had to play, you know, on the weekends, I had to play during certain hours and stuff like that, you know, but, for the most part, everybody was cool, um, and it's funny because years and years and years, probably, God, probably twenty years later, I'm home playing a gig in my hometown with a band I was on the road with, and my neighbors came out in front row. <laughs> <The> <laughs> oh, same right. guy called the cops on, yeah, same guy who called the cops on me came out and sat the front row for the show. So, uh, it it was circle. great, you know? Yeah, it was totally full circle.
1: I love that. Yeah, yeah that's totally amazing. Well, um, I was also looking through your list. I had no idea because um, I hadn't been to your website in a long time. I really hadn't been there since um, Here Be Dragons really was fully established. But I was looking at the list of the of, of who you've played with and who you've associated with. And do you do you have any, like, highlight spots in there of just, for example, meeting f- Freddie Gruber is, I would say, one. But just certain artists that you would say, you know what, this is a straight-up, Quality person, probably that whole list because I know we associate ourselves with people we want to be with, right? But anybody you want to just like uh, in a good way throw under the bus is like I just had an amazing experience with this person. I'd love to work with them again sometime, or I'm still working with them. Just to like highlight a few of those names. because still- you know,
0: honestly, man, I they all have a special place for me. You know, even if it was one gig, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would have to say. You know, definitely like Christian Bush. I'm currently on the road with Blackberry Smoke, which those guys are just the greatest group of people I've ever toured with, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like everybody from the singer to all the way down to the, the crew, all the way to the crew, up to the crew guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's the best crew I've ever worked with. Um, but I would have to say, you know, Christian Bush was great to work for. Um, I would have to say the one of the bands that really like, showed me what was possible, was Beyond Fires from Australia. Ah. Um, so they were a duo, uh, Max and Marty. Max um, is a badass, six by five foot ten, fire red hair. Uh, <laughs> she had fire red hair. Fire red hair, uh, we're older now. So she had fire red hair, Australian woman, and she played a guitar. And I mean, she owned it. And then Marty played guitar and bass, through his guitar, he pedals, and I was on drums. And we toured all over the place. We played, we toured China twice. We played Taiwan. Um, we went and we did eight weeks in the states at one point in time. And you know, we spent uh, the entire week together in a blizzard in Boston, stuck in Boston for a week. <laughs> it was, but seeing those, being with them. Um, you know, it really taught me how to be a touring musician because they were almost like, they almost kind of lived like a refugee lifestyle.
2: Huh. You know,
0: they were really simple. Um, they were, they moved, they carried, they traveled very light. Um, they worked from the road, which was amazing. It was the first group I, ne- I never worked with where Marty was, you know, he was a, he's a, he was a digital architect at the time. So he huh. would, be sitting there during the day I'd be driving the, the, the car we'd be in my Honda CRV with a trailer I would be driving the car Matt would be in the back seat doing all the social media and the booking and everything uh-huh. and Marty was in the front seat basically uh, drawing you know doing his uh, architecture work yeah. kind of paying for the whole thing so it was and it was just the hustle that those guys had and the simpleness of their lifestyle that really opened me up to a lot of things, you know, they're, they were so healthy, um, the way they ate and everything. They were just, they were touring, uh, touring machines. And, uh, it was really fun to be part of for sure. And definitely going to China was like, that was such a huge spiritual opening, awakening for me over there. Um, just seeing the other side of the world and being in it for a month and it was exhausting, but it was, it was also the most fun I've ever had.
1: Yeah, definitely a bucket list item for me. I haven't gotten there, but I will one day. My uh, wife studied in China for a little bit, and uh, it's just an amazing place. So if you could, like, it sounds like you just did, but if you could paint your ideal tour slash venues that you'd want to play, would you, like, shoot the moon and say, like, Red Rocks and the Apollo, you know, these these big-name places, or would you be like, you know what? It really doesn't matter the place itself. I just want to go to these certain cities and be with quality musicians who take care of themselves. What would, yeah. if, if you could like have a crystal ball and design it, like you're in charge of that right now, what would it, what would it look like? You don't have to name names or anything um, for people, but just how would it be?
0: Definitely Red Rocks. I would love to play Red Rocks. I almost got to play Red Rocks. Um, I was being courted by a ABBA tribute band. Who oh. I guess sells out Red Rocks. They're from, uh, they're from overseas and, uh, from Sweden.
2: Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're,
0: yeah, (laughs) they're actually like, they're as close to having as you get, but Mm -hmm. there was something weird going on with the management and everything and some kind of weird stuff going on to where I I kind of pulled away from it. It just wasn't, I wasn't quite into it. Um, but they were going to play Red Rocks. So definitely Red Rocks is on my list, but, uh, I mean, there's definitely places I would love, you know, I'd love to play Madison Square Garden. I would love to play, you know, but, I've, I've played the Chicago Metro, which was growing up was one of my places I've always wanted to play. But, you know, now I I just really love playing anywhere where the audience is, is, is engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I spent a lot of years um, cutting my teeth and uh, making it ends meet by playing bars, you know, like a three-hour, four-hour cover game in bars. Like, I spent... 20 years 25 years doing that almost yeah. every weekend you know playing in bucket, playing in you know a bar somewhere right um and it's and it's just such a an amazing thing to play original music to an audience that is engaged with you all the yeah. way compared to like playing a bar and being the drummer in a band who's just the band is playing that night and everybody's just kind of hanging out doing their thing in the bar and
1: talking you know? and but drinking
0: when, and not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they might, they might be leaning back on the stage with their, back, <laughs> 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 you know, guess, but Hey man, yeah. don't, don't, don't put bread on the table for a while. But, you know, but when you play a show where the audience is engaged, you know, it's, it's, I played, I played rooms of 500 people that were packed out with 600 people that were some of the most electric shows I've ever played. You know, and I played, you know, shows of 250,000 people in China where everybody was engaged. And it was just like, it's it's, it's about the energy that you get back from the audience, you know? Um, so yeah, I I just love playing venues and playing gigs where the audience is engaged.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I get that. Um, I follow um, Glenn Sobel on, on social media and I I could see, you know, he's, He's at the big venues, and then he's back, you know, with a small band in a very small place. And I've seen comments from a lot of artists, not just drummers, of course, the singers definitely, because they're in the front. That is just that's the energy, that's the the reflection if you can see the audience. And so I wonder, like in the huge, huge venues, does it can you get kind of lost? And it is original music, and you're you got the vibe of the band, but can you, especially being in the back on the on the drum throne, can you? feel that energy from a, a big audience? Or oh, absolutely. You can.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, man, the other thing that's fun is, like, when you're in a really big room, um, I'm a big fan. One of the things that Freddie, we talking with Freddie and hanging out with Freddie, um, what it allowed me to do is kind of, like, not think about what I was playing mm-hmm. and focus more on, like, the audience reaction mm-hmm. and kind of, like, feeling it would allow me to feel the energy of the room and what I would love to do is like even if I'm playing a big venue you know or a small venue but on a big venue it really matters because you know it's a bigger venue you got a bigger stage there's more space between you and the audience Mm -hmm. and man I just love like scanning the audience and making eye contact (laughs) and like staring them down and knowing like they know I'm staring at them, and then just getting a reaction out of them. That's my favorite thing to do. Wow! Because then what you do is, what's great about that is when when you do that as an artist for that person, man, you just took that giant venue and you shrunk it down into like a, a small bar. You know, yeah. Because you've agree. made a I've made a connection with that person now, and that person's engaged with me completely. You know, they don't feel like they're one of. 10,000 people. They feel like they're one of,
1: like, 10, Yeah, you know? And it makes it so I personal think, for them. Yeah,
0: it makes it, it makes it personal for them, you know? And then, you know, then it just connects everything even on a higher level, you
1: know? Um, that is really cool. I can appreciate that totally. It reminds me of a story. Um, I bring up Rush again, but uh, fans would bring a, a small sign that says, Got Wood. Uh, and hold it up and yeah. try to get his attention so they could get maybe a pair of sticks thrown at them. So that, and that's the goal. They wanted that personal experience and, uh, and you provide that. I, I love that you purposely provide it. Um, Cause I can, yeah. I can, you know, imagine, I don't know who this would be, but some aloof artists that are making millions and billions that are just like, I'm going to be up there and I'm going to be the star. And that's that and appreciate my art. Right. But you're in it for the music. You're in it for the experience and for the connection, and I think that's pure. I love that. Let's move into uh, Drumhead Magazine. Are you still writing your column for them, The Weekend Warrior? I
0: I am not. I am not.
1: You um, want, do you want to reflect a little bit on that experience and what it kind of like, how it documented certain times for you?
0: Yeah, um, no problem at all. I mean, it, is, it was a great experience for me. Um, my friend, uh, Jonathan neighbor who uh, ran the magazine, he no longer runs the magazine anymore, so I, I kind of bowed out when he uh, bowed out. Okay, um, but it was uh, it was a great experience because I was kind of in a place where I was I had just put out my first ever DVD, and and unfortunately, you know, I decided to put out a DVD at the time when YouTube and everything just popped up, so DVDs <laughs> became irrelevant. Yeah. So if if you find a DVD of mine out there, it's a. There's not going to be any more. So it is a. It, it, it's, the a um, <laughs> yeah. it's a classic. It's a classic. I have found some on the Um But uh, I was at a PASIC and uh, you know, I gave a DVD to Jonathan Hoover who's one of my... His magazine, Drumhead magazine um, especially when Jonathan owned it and was writing it and he was the editor and he was doing all the interviews and stuff. It was such an amazing magazine being a drummer because I grew up on Modern Drummer and I grew up on drummer and those are great magazines. But where he ch- he what he did different was Moover is such a um he's such a legendary drummer in his own right that when he would interview people, like when he interviewed Kenny Arnoff, uh-huh. it was like Kenny Arnoff could open up because he was talking to somebody that understood. And it allowed him to get deep into these guys almost like into these guys' soul. Like there's a, if you have if you can find an article that he interviewed uh, Dave Weckl, it was amazing huh. to learn about Weckl. So it's um, a real
1: conversation, speaking the language. It's a, be- it's a real
0: conversation. It's a conversation. It's, it's like sitting in on a conversation between two drummers on the same level, and what and they're both legends, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that struck me with the magazine. So I, I instantly became a fan of the magazine, and I saw that they had guests people right and so I gave him my DVD and uh, you know I wasn't expecting to hear anything from it and I remember driving home from Buckhead at about um, he was out in LA at the time so I was driving home probably at like 2 in the morning (laughs) and all of a sudden I get this call and it's like it's a New York number, and I'm like, who is calling me from New York? <laughs> yeah, the
1: like numbers were bomb. attached to certain places, and you could depend that they were calling from New York.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you knew it was an actual person. It wasn't a robocall or a spam call. Yeah. This is a person from New York calling me. Um, so, I answer it, and it's Uber, and he's like, man, I watched your DVD, um, you know, I've gone and seen some of your posts and, and some of the stuff you've been writing online. He goes, I'd love for you to write to the magazine. And I was like, <laughs> I'd, that'd be amazing. I, I would love to. Um, and he goes, but be deep. He goes, I, I know you got deeper stuff in you than what you're writing, so you can write whatever you want, man, 1,500 words. I'm like, 1,500 words. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's, like, that's a real article. Um, and you know, he said, I, I can't pay you anything. I'm like, I don't need, I said, dude, I don't need it. I said, give me a free, give me a free uh, subscription. Oh, wow, nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, because um, I was at the point I just wanted to share. Yeah. You know? I wanted to just share. And so I wrote my first article, which was called uh, "The Anim- uh, Pro- uh, Comfort is the Enemy of Progress, which is an old uh, um, It's an old quote um, by P.P. Barnum, who's kind of nice. known for not being a nice guy sometimes, yeah. but um, with that quote, that quote when i read that um when i was in college it, it really hit home to me that yeah you cannot do anything in life that ends up putting you in a better place without doing and without dealing with discomfort there's nothing you can do without discomfort and we as a society have gotten so so like we, we strive for comfort and you know and i think touring as with some of the musicians I've toured with, you know, you're never comfortable when you're on tour. With you. You're never truly comfortable. Mm-hmm. You have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, said, well, so I put it into um, basically into the, the format of here's how I made myself uncomfortable behind the drum set to make myself better. And I wrote the article, uh, uh, Jonathan published it and he wrote me back about a week later right as it came out, and he goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. The next issue came out after my first article, and he goes, you're not going to believe the letter to the editor I got about your article.
2: Really?
0: And it was this guy, um, I've, got the, I've got it somewhere, but it was this uh, drummer, and the first words out of his mouth was Kent Aubrey's article uh, Comfort has given me progress, saved my life. And oh I was like, oh goodness. man, not that. Not <laughs> that. And it was just, a, you know, he it was the whole, he, he took in the idea of the, the discomfort to change, and he quit smoking, he quit drinking, he just, he got his, he got his house in order, wow. because he understood that in order to get better, we have to be uncomfortable. You have to. So, um, and so from that, that all that did was inspire me more. So I just wrote, and wrote, and wrote, and things that came to me, I just wrote. And I'm starting to write again a little bit more. Um, I'm probably going to be Writing some stuff for PASIC this year mm-hmm. for their uh, um, their notes. Uh, they have a PASIC, of Arts Society International Conference. If your listeners are not a member of that, and they're drummers, they need to join. It's one of the best things you can do as a drummer is join PASIC. Yeah, it's
1: I'll put unbelievable. A, I'll put a link with all of your stuff on the yeah. on the website for and, that. PAS. And just
0: going to going, to, I mean, join, joining Pasick Percussive Arts Society, but going to the conference is one of the best things you can do as a drummer. But, Um, I'm starting to write again a little bit um, especially with you being on the road it's easy for me to like sit down and like kind of journal a little bit more you know Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah the drumhead was huge for me I still have guys that'll come up to me at shows and say man are you the same guy that wrote the weekend warrior column I'm like yeah and he goes dude I love that column you know so every time I get to hear that it inspires me a little bit to start writing again
1: I I think that's great and it's what I love about it mostly is it it shatters the stereotype, and I'm sure someone's told you that before, and I love that about Neil Peart as well. It's like the stereotype when someone says, oh, I'm a drummer, is okay, yeah, fine, great. And you're an intellectual, deep-thinking, philosophical person who writes and and feels music and, and it just encompasses all these things, and I love that it just is a 180 from what someone would on the surface judge someone who hits drums for a
0: living. Yeah. We have the Muppets to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everybody thinks of a good, everybody <laughs> thinks of the drummer as animal, you know, or Pete Moon or, you know, it's like this hardcore party person, you know, but I mean, a lot of times the drummer is, I don't know, man, it, you know, there's definitely animal drummers out there, you know, but it's a musician, you know? Um, right. But, you know, I'm just, I don't know, man, it's everything drumming has brought to me has brought me goodness. So I try to just focus on that and try to like improve it, you know, take the goodness that it gives me and go, okay, well let's take it to another level. You know, whether it's my health, whether it's my, my spirituality, anything like that, you know, I try to base it all off my drumming Yeah, and it usually works out. Okay. You know,
1: well, it seems to have so far, you look like you're living a great life and, um, it's really been great to watch you, at least from afar. I hope we can connect uh, personally sometime soon. But uh, it's oh, reminding, yeah, it's reminding me a little bit of um, of gear, because really when we first connected and you were working at Beat Out Cancer and helping, you'd you'd bring some stuff for us to auction off. And some people I talk to on this podcast, singers specifically, they they've got their microphone and that's about it. But we're you? You're in the world of gear, and I know you've been associated with many different companies over the years. You have like a, a current um, go to for certain things, an affinity for certain products. Um, I I I love for you to talk about insurance here too, because I didn't have this in my original notes, but I know, I see a post from you every once in a while about insurance for musicians, because you put all your stuff, uh, drummers having lots of gear in a car, and then it gets oh, yeah. you know, lifted. Um, but what are your like what? What are you feeling right now? What are you using? Um, what what is inspiring you?
0: What tools are you uh, trade? <laughs> probably the one thing that has the biggest effect on my life is I'm I'm currently the U.S. director of operations for Dream Symbols.
1: Yes, nice. Um,
0: yeah, so Dream Symbols um, we're we're definitely starting to get a lot of notoriety. Um, it's got Dream Symbols um, was formed about 15 years ago, and uh, you know the thing I love about our company is our company is five drummers from Canada, uh, four drummers from Canada and me in the U S. Uh-huh. Um, so all of our symbols are about half. They're all B20 alloy. They're all beautiful handmade instruments. Um, but they're all about half the price of a Zildjian, a Sabian, a mile or a Pisces. Because what we try to do as musicians is we, we feel like a lot of the gear is just, so overpriced, you know. For, I mean, for and, and personally, man, it's like you know, my first kit was thirty-five dollars or whatever it was. <laughs> that's I'm, your reference point, yeah. <laughs> that's my reference point. So, like, I've always been a fan of like playing inexpensive stuff. And so, like, when Dream Symbols came in, I was like, dude, this is like a Kildjian, but this is like one hundred and fifty dollars. And the company has just gotten better and better and better, and our products have gotten better and better and better. And now drummers are loving us for the sound. So, yeah. um, and actually, if, if your listeners are in town on Saturday, this is out. Is this coming out in January? Will this be out mm. in the next week or so? I've got think? about
1: a two week, um, window right now. So it'll be about two All weeks right. right now. Yeah.
0: So Saturday, January 21st. Um, Dream Symbols is doing a Dream Symbols Day at Earthshaking Music in Atlanta. Okay. And I'll be hanging out there all day just talking shop. So if anybody wants to come by and hang out, they can check out all the all Dream Symbols' wares and go get a ton of Symbols there to check out. And they're doing that usual um,
1: buyback, the per inch kind of thing?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's the other thing. It really turned me on to them to say, Dream is the only company that... Well, it, we do a recycling program where... Uh, if you have broken cymbals, one long as they're bronze, you get a dollar an inch towards a new cymbal. Nice. So the record for one person, I believe, is 985 inches. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to a store I, I work with in Seattle. But it's been a real blessing, man. And uh, um, as far as like other gear I'm using, I'm still a Gretsch guy. I'll always be a Gretsch guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, been a Gretsch guy for a long time. I'm, I use Aquarian drumheads, Bigfoot drumsticks. Um, there's a ton of products that I use. Um, and now I've gotten really into microphones, like the SE microphones and the Solomon mics and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just that connection thing for me. It's like I, it's, gear is gear, you know, but when you when you meet somebody that you connect with on a personal level and they make the gear and they're good listeners and they're really good at sharing you information Sharing the information with you to help you understand the gear and you know actually like feel like you have a part in what's going on. Uh-huh. It, it's really great, you know. Like Aquarian for me is like I can't imagine playing anything but Aquarian Drummers just because Roy Burns was such an inspiration on me and he was such a dear friend. You know, yeah. Um, I got to I got to create two sets of two models of drum heads with Roy personally. You know? Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the modern vintage two and deep vintage two drum heads were, uh, were a concept that Roy and I came up with together. And, uh, you know, he was such an inspiration on me, not only as how to be a good person, but a good businessman, you know, and not burn people and be open and be, be conversational, mm-hmm. you know, and feel free to share, you know, um, Um, But, yeah, man, there's been so many brands that supported me for so long. You know, it's
1: it's just great. That's fantastic. And let's talk about your place now. Um, It's probably not new for you anymore, but for me, since I actually haven't even seen it, (laughs) only except in (laughs) pictures, I saw the development of it. I saw you first putting it together and doing the construction. I think you went uh, mainly through Sweetwater to kind of wire it up. Um, My experiences with Sweetwater have been amazing. just like got a lot of yeah Yeah.
0: So yeah. Talk, talk I mean that. I I bought some stuff I bought a lot of stuff from Sweetwater. I bought a lot of stuff from uh you know from my, my personal brands too that I know. Uh-huh. Um but it, you know uh Here Be Dragons recording just you know it just came about. We when COVID hit, um I was my my girl Kiva and I were had been dating for a long time. And uh when COVID hit I was still living in I was living in Midtown, like in basically in the Virginia Islands in an apartment, you know, one-bedroom apartment, which I loved. I loved my little apartment because it was kind of like I was on the road so much, like when I came home, I just wanted to be in the city where things were happening. Yeah, I just wanted my own nice big hotel room. <laughs> That's all I needed. With a kitchen. Um,
1: yeah.
0: With a kitchen and a washer and dryer. Yep. You know, a no. good job. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, and I ran into a rehearsal space. Um, out on the west side. So I had a really nice big rehearsal space where I had my studio set up. And when COVID hit, um, the rehearsal space decided that they were going to move a different direction and they decided to kick out all the musicians. Um, And at that point in time, you know, this is also when development was going insane in Atlanta. So Mm -hmm. Avatar Studios shut down, uh, Thunderbox shut down, Blackbox shut down years ago, um, and there was no place to rehearse. So I really had nowhere to play. So, um, you know, Kiva and I had been together for a while. And she had a house in Mableton, and we discussed moving in together. And when we moved in together, you know, we went in together and fixed up the house. And, you know, the only thing left to do was, was the garage. And I could not find a rehearsal space. And my wonderful woman, Kiva, said, well, just take half of the garage. Yeah. Well, I ended up taking, I ended up taking the whole uh, garage. <laughs> I, 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 I can imagine because uh, it's a nice space. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And you know, I just i i i took everything I had I saved up, and I was like, well, you know, I made it through COVID, and I survived, and uh, I've got savings, so I'm going to put it all into this, and uh, you know. It's spent a ton of money on the soundproofing, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's great, man. It's, I, I call it my place where time design exists.
1: Oh, yeah, I like that description.: um, Yeah,
0: it's great. It's, it's, I've definitely had some uh, great nights of bands coming over and uh, creating music and stuff in there. and it's, it's just a place where I can go down there and get into my drumming zone and you know I want to play at six in the morning. if I wake up at two in the morning and I have an idea, I can go down there and record it. you know It's amazing. Truly
1: really a blessing. To have, yeah, sure. it's it sounds it's so amazing. I love the the aspect, and this ties back to your work with PASIC and with 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 writing and, and giving back. Is that you do lessons, um, and that you set it up purposely that way with the overhead camera, and you've got monitors for the even if parents are in there and they mm-hmm. want to hear what the kids doing. I mean, it was it was a well thought out plan to be a multi use
0: um, environment. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, so cool. I mean. My whole deal was like, you know, it was, it was to create a, a space where if a person came out and they wanted to take a lesson, it was, a, it was an experience. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like going to a store and going into a sterile lesson room and, you know, and just having the same old experience. I wanted people to walk in somewhere, you know, and just get that wow factor. Yeah, and you got and someone playing trumpet at,
1: right next to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, just sit down on a drum set that's mic'd up. You know, and be able to hear yourself on your headphones, and be able to play along with records with me, and see an overhead shot. You know, it's it's a great experience, man. And um, I'm not teaching as much as I used to, just because my schedule doesn't really allow for it. But mm-hmm. I still do like one off once in a while for people. Um, but who knows, man? That who knows what can happen in the future. You know, I've always I've always dreamt about doing some kind of a camp or something too. You know, to help people with drumming. But you know. It's, I love teaching. I just love giving back and I love sharing. So this room is kind of a place where I can
1: do that. Yeah, I know you love teaching because I went to one of your clinics um, at your shop years ago and I could see you in action and uh, and I've seen a few videos of you in in different stores. You, You light up because I think the essence of of drumming and sharing what it is and the experience it just it kind of like exudes like sweat coming out of your body <laughs> so i don't know if you can even help yourself when you're when you're around your element like that so I, I totally appreciate that so moving into the the end here tell me a little bit about like what you've got coming up um i know you're about to go back on the road and it was nice to fit you in the in this nice little window here where you're uh you get some r&r before you hit the road again but uh what are you, where are you touring, where are you headed, and what, what are you looking to do in the, the far future? Do you got some big big plans?
0: Well, I'm, I'm out with Blackberry Smoke for the time now, which has been an incredible journey, a uh, spiritual journey, as a relief drummer and uh, tech for uh, Britt from Blackberry Smoke, who's battling some serious health issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's fighting it, and he's going to beat it. And I'm just, you know, it's, it's a blessing to be out on the road with these guys because they're just, they're the best people out there, man. And their fans are amazing. It's, it's been truly an incredible experience. But, um, you know, we got some shows coming up. There's If you go to com, they'll have all of our schedule. But we definitely got a trip to Europe coming up in March. Ooh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, which will be my first time in Europe, believe it what? or not. It's like I've toured, I have toured all over this <laughs> you got world. Australian
1: I've China. I've never Europe. toured
0: Europe. Huh. Yeah, I've done Australia, I've done China, I've done Taiwan, I've done Japan, I've done Canada, I've done Mexico, no Europe. So where in Europe are you going to be? Everywhere. Everywhere. It's, it's, it's a long one. It's nice. Long one. We're going everywhere. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm just going to continue doing my thing, man. You know, continue doing stuff with dream symbols and, you know, just trying to find time to relax and uh, continue my personal my growth personally. You know, I've been one thing I've been trying to do lately is uh, get off of social media and open a book, mm, which uh, paper and yeah has been great. You know, it's just getting off of there and uh, not needing to post stuff and not feeling like I have to do anything. It's been amazing. You know, so I've been trying to like reconnect with some books that I've been wanting to read and. You know, just finding that, finding that space because we, we live in a, we're kind of in a crazy time right now where, you know, everything is so volatile, yeah, you know, it's, it's, right. uh, every, everybody is so overreactionary mm-hmm. um, and we've, we've really lost our ability to breathe and just stop and take a breath and give time and space for, to truly think about what's going on. You know, whether it's when you're driving, you know, it's like road, people are road raging, or you know, people are losing their minds over stupid stuff.
2: Yeah, you know.
0: But I think a lot of it is just that we're so on edge and we're so um, we're so stressed out that we just got to learn to take a break. And this is what I learned in China, man. Was like it was so chaotic. That entire tour was just so chaotic. And if if you go on to YouTube and you uh, search "be on fires." China Taco D-O-T-O uh-huh. uh, there's a 15 minute documentary that just kind of takes you through two shows of our tour and you, just in that 15 minutes it's like I've had friends call me and say I don't know how you did it like that because <laughs> <laughs> it was you know but it, but it was moment by moment day by day and living in the moment and, and I also learned how to meditate over there I learned yeah, Buddhism but- and uh, You know, and and the power of meditation, and I feel like me as a society and musicians, man, especially, we just got to learn how to breathe and let things develop, and you know, not push. Mm -hmm. Like, allow yourself time to not be constantly pushing yourself out there. Give yourself some downtime so that you can receive some stuff.
1: Absolutely, you know.
0: And I feel like that's what I've learned more than anything. It's like because. I've pushed myself as a, there were moments, there's been many moments in my life where I've pushed myself really hard as a you know?
2: Yeah, and the effects can be like so crazy.
1: detrimental.
0: It, it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. You know? It's exhausting. And then, like, you know, you put out a post, and because the algorithm doesn't like your post, you get, like, 20 views. And then the next post, you get 1,000 views. You're like, oh, my God, i got to make another post, you know?
1: It can be an an addiction, yeah.
0: Yeah, it can be a thing where you're putting yourself out there so much that if you could just stop and give yourself some space, all of a sudden things start coming to you. And we have to allow ourselves to actually receive things, not just push for things and grab for things Mm -hmm. and want things. We have to learn how to just be where we're at, be in the moment, and let things come to
1: us. That's sage advice, my friend. I love it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you and you've lived it. I haven't lived quite the chaos that you have, uh, and I, I almost did by choice. I don't know if we talked about this, but years ago, I yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hit the music scene as a teenager and see what I could do with it. But y- you've you've done it, and uh, I can just I love how you're on this end of it, and you can be reflective and you can just stop and smell the roses, right? That old adage. <laughs> it's so
0: applicable right well, now. You know, man. It's I feel. People, I tell students of mine who are kind of at that point in their life where they're like, they want to become a professional musician. And I just tell them, I'm like, don't even look at it as sacrifice. Because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to sacrifice so much. You got to sacrifice so much. I don't feel like I've sacrificed because I've gotten to wake up every day. Even if I was living in maybe not the greatest apartment in the world and there were six years of my life where I didn't even own a car yeah. I was on the road all the time, so I've been on home in Atlanta. I rode a bike, save money. Mm-hmm. You know, it it wasn't a sacrifice for me because it allowed me to do what I wanted to do. You know, I totally and if get If we it. look at every, if we look at things that we're giving up as sacrifices, you got to kind of stop and go. What are you really giving up? You know, yeah. and, and, and what you're giving up if it's a tangible object i guarantee you it's not worth it if there's nothing you can own that can replace the experiences that you can have being a professional musician Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be easy you're not going to make a ton of money it's not going to be you know the mtv celebrity lifestyle or whatever they call that now it's not that it's a lot of hard work but it's the most when you're on stage and you're performing with people and you're performing with friends, um, it's the most rewarding work that you can possibly have. And the next thing you know, it's like the sacrifices aren't the sacrifices. It's just, I don't want that because it's going to keep me from playing. Yeah. You know, that I, don't want a, I don't want a giant car payment because if I have a $600 car payment and I'm on the road in a van <laughs> and that car's sitting at home, yeah. it's not doing me any good you know? Yeah. So it's, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of sacrifice and part of that is allowing yourself to be uncomfortable, you know? But if you can, if you can truly embrace it, you know, you're not making sacrifices, man. you're just, uh, you're improving your situation to be what you want to do. So,
1: yeah, I love it. It's an it's embracing thing. philosophy versus a uh, pushing it off to the
0: side. Yeah. Oh, why, wow, man! I wish I had that. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. It's like I don't. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. As long as I can be on stage and play drums on the weekend and put me in a van, I'm good. Yeah, you
1: know? it, it reminds me um, of Sean O'Rourke. We were talking about, and it's the same time when you guys oh, were on yeah. the show together. And he's like, "Dude, I could play some some cardboard boxes and I'll be happy." Because he just yeah. wanted to feel that experience and just to you know kind yep. of have that. vibe. Exactly, man. So I love
0: it exactly. Well, Kent,
1: about. man, it has been so great to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this for, to this for so long, and uh, yeah, we got to get together soon and and have you out. Um, the the show itself has evolved, and we got to get some drums back into it. And uh, love to oh, have yeah, you man. In do a little solo. So, uh, and congrats
0: on congrats, congrats on having that thing go so long, man. That's a lot of work.
1: Thank you. Yeah, That's a lot of work. You know, we we put in the work of the things we love, right? So there we go. That's
0: right. Exactly, <laughs> it, man. Exactly. It. Well done.
1: Much appreciated. Well,
0: hey, uh, have a
1: good time on your tour. Please take uh, some photos and uh I know you won't be posting a lot on social media, but um, I'd love to see just a, you know, an Eiffel Tower here and then
2: <laughs> or wherever you happen <laughs> you to be. It,
1: that would be amazing. You
2: got it,
1: man. So great. Um, it's it so good talking to you and we will talk again soon.
2: That's
0: great, buddy. Thank you. All right, you no care. problem. All right, bye. Bye bye.